time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. My guest today tells us that we are all prisoners of something. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody has locked you into a basement or a jail cell or anything else, but we hold ourselves prisoner. There are some other pieces to that being a prisoner. Sometimes it's because of the people that are around us, the people we love, the, our family members, but we're captured by something. And that thing keeps us a prisoner. And so part of our task in life is to figure out where we're stuck and move through it. Marianne McSpadden is my guest. And she had that moment in her life when she realized that she was being held captive by her belief system and by the belief system of all of those around her. And she realized that she had to break loose, that she had a a right to be happy and to be free and to understand how to move beyond that. So she tries to help people find their own places of transformation. But in order to hear that transformation of how you can break free, First, you want to hear about how she broke free, and then you'll hear about the three levels of how you can address those places of being held captive. So listen in as Marion McSpadden and I discuss being captive and how to find freedom. Marion, thank you so much for being here. I'm pretty excited about this because you said something that really caught my attention. You said that everyone feels that they're a prisoner to something, and our task is to figure out how to get through that. So that's what we want to focus on today, and as we're talking about that, let's talk some about your own experience and how you got to here. So uh, first, again, welcome. Thanks for being being here, Marion. Tell us a little bit about how you got to here. Well, Lee, it's been a journey. It's It's been 18 years of making choices that were different from what my, um, at the age of 34, I literally escaped a religious cult in the dark because if they knew that I was going to be leaving, they would have done everything they could have to keep me in that confine. And it wasn't like my life was so horrible. I was locked in a basement, but there was limitations everywhere and there was no help for me. And what I was feeling, Lee, is I was lonesome pretty much everywhere that I was. I was lonesome when I was with people. I was lonesome when I was by myself. And um, when those that loneliness came to the place where it also became an oppressive weight and I had no sense, no worthwhile Um, I just didn't believe anybody would even ever want to listen to me or hear me talk. And now here I'm talking to you on a world podcast. How amazing is that? (laughs) So let's go back a little bit into that. You talked about this uh, being a part of at age 34, escaping a cult. How much of your life did that encompass? And and what was that like? I mean, were you living in a cult group or? I was born into it. Okay. So it was like for generations, this is how my grandparents, my parents, all my aunts and uncles. So it was a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And the lifestyle, like I said, wasn't that bad. But, you know, some people call them Amish. Some people call them Mennonite. And there's many beautiful things about those communities. It's very communal communal people help each other. And you kind of know where you belong. But even in that belonging, I still was lonesome and and my life was not, it was not fulfilled on the inside. And I'm sure there are happy people in that culture. But for me, it was like being caged. It was like being trapped in a 
place where I had no no way of going past it. I did I couldn't see life anywhere else except staying this till I died. And that's what I believed I would do. And so at the age of 34, 33 is actually when my world just really kind of crashed in. And up to that time, I lived on a farm and I went to eighth grade riding my bicycle on a one-room schoolhouse. And then five years later, when I was eighth eighth grade, that ended up my education. Five years later, I was back in the classroom as a teacher. And I did that for seven years where I helped students get their education grades one through eight in a one-room schoolhouse with outdoor plumbing. You know, we got to go outside in the snow or the rain, whatever it was, and sit on that seat. And um, like I say, that's not so bad. It's, it's when your heart is hurting on the inside. And that's what where I was at. So out of the seven years of, of teaching, I had lots of nieces and nephews. There were eight of us children. And a lot of them had babies by that time. Right now, I think there's 51 nieces and nephews within my, you know, within my family. And so um, I started assisting the ladies to birth within the community. So by the time I went from 28 to 34, I had helped 75 women birth their babies within the community in their homes. So that was a very unique experience and I treasure it, but I think part of it was also the part of my breaking because the responsibility was very heavy for me and with the oppression and everything I just didn't have enough oxygen anymore I just you know it felt like I couldn't breathe I couldn't live I couldn't it was really heavy really I don't know how else to say it was really heavy you know otherwise I should have been fine you know driving a horse and buggy we didn't have cars it, it was a very limiting we couldn't ride planes you know we couldn't have cell phones even though cell phones were available uh, 34 years ago. So it was just, life was different. And it wasn't that I disliked the culture, but it was the pain on the inside. And I think to the listeners today, it doesn't matter what our culture is. We we find sometimes that we get to those places in life, whether it was through a big disappointment or something didn't turn out the way we thought we that would. Our parents disappointed us. Our teacher disappointed us. Our boyfriend, girlfriend, friends, or the business person. You know, in many areas of life, it just doesn't always work out the way we thought it would. And this is where I would like to encourage those people that it doesn't have to end at the where it seems to be the end of a road. And I think that's where I found myself at 33 years of age. I just felt like I literally reached the end of the road and that I really felt like I would physically die if I didn't get some help because it was so heavy. The oppression was so intense. And through that, I started crying out for help and I didn't know where to ask for help because I kind of mentioned it a little bit to my family and I kind of got shushed up like, you know, just get over this, you know, there's nothing wrong with you or, you know, I just wasn't heard. Nobody knew how to help me. And I, I understand that. I kind of understood it at the time that they didn't know how to help me. And I think that's another frequent problem. No matter what the culture is, sometimes we don't know who to go to, to ask for help. 
because we, we may kind of know that we need help, but we don't know who to ask. And I think back to those days, Lee, and if I'd had somebody like a Marion, like myself, to walk with me in that season, it would have made things a lot smoother and made things a lot faster. And I think um, some of the painful pitfalls that I tripped over wouldn't have been so painful. And, you know, it's very, when we're vulnerable, when we are, you know, looking and searching and sometimes even though we make um, great effort to become better, sometimes we just keep going down lower. And I think that's where I found myself just kind of at the bottom. Mm. And that's where I started crying out to God, not, not having a clue that there was a God who could help me. In my mind, I saw him as this far away, angry God who was just ready to send me to hell. That's, I, I didn't know that he would even, even really care about me. I kind of knew it, but I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't real to me. And so through those really intense, oppressive days, I rocked the country roads by myself and I just cry out to God. Like it was so, um, like I was desperate, like I was a drowning person. And through that amazing things started happening where people started coming into my life that just kind of showed me one step forward. And then somebody else came with something that started bringing, um, I don't even say it was hope yet. It was just kind of like stepping stones. Like if you're going to cross this wide river and somebody started throwing stepping stones out for you and you saw where you're, you're, there's a little movement there. And that was so different because before that I just felt stuck. And as I started out on those stepping stones, it took a little bit of faith, but you know, the stream got more intense. <laughs> the farther out in the stream that I got. And in when I got to the drowning point, that's where I really encountered um, a nearness of God coming near. And it, it, it was, it was the most amazing thing when that nearness came, like I didn't know it was possible, but it was just like this, outer presence kind of became an inward presence at the same time. And it felt pure. It felt right. It felt free. It felt happy. It felt light. And, um, I was, I was just totally blown away. And that came through a series of programs and people that were those stepping stones for me. But I was the one that had to take the courage to take one more step and head out into that river. And when that moment came where I came to, let's say my drowning point where the water was going over my head and that rescue came, it wasn't like everything just dissolved and all of a sudden my world was perfect. It was now that I had a helper. And it was like there's there was this oxygen mask that was put on me where I could breathe and fight through that current and there was a hope put into me that I saw myself on the other side of that stream. That was the most amazing part. And it still is in looking back 18 years later, that, um, that pure childlike trust, because believe me, I could not swim in that deep water and the current. It was 
way over my head what was happening in my life. And so those, um, those very uh, near moments with God just started transforming things on the inside and the depression and the oppression started like giving me more space. And I would like have maybe a minute with that being gone. And then it just come back like a flood again, like a raging flood. And then I would keep pressing forward, you know, taking one step at a time. And, and eventually it's like a week of not, not having that oppression and that depression. And then it come back again, you know, something would trigger something. I mean, like, boom, <laughs> my head go back underwater. And I was like needing that, that resuscitation and help again. But that's how, I found my journey and it led me out of the little community away from everything that I'd ever known. And that was the hardest thing it ever did was to step away from everything that was familiar and go by faith that there was a hope. And I kind of knew that there was something in me that was precious and it needed to have a voice. And so what amazes me, Lee, is that I'm here now talking on a world podcast knowing that my voice can be heard by many people. And I do that through coaching as well, helping people take that journey, whatever it is in their life. And um, so I guess at this moment, I'm just feeling a little amazed and humbled that I actually took that journey. And I can now look back and say, wow, you know, who am I that I should be, you know, having this conversation with you now? Mm. So let's just go back there for a minute. I mean, you had generations of your family that were in that and, and probably uh, not just generations like your parents, but all your extended family also, I would assume. Yes, sir. And um, when you left, did you leave by yourself? I mean, was it just you? Okay, you were leaving by yourself and you left a group that when you leave, you um, you don't get to come back and join in the family reunion and have times with them. Well, um, one of the things that I'm always very cautious when I share my story is to let people understand there are various groups with various rules and regulations within each group. The group that I came from was very conservative, was whores and buggy, but they were the group that did not require people what they call with the, that even some of the English people or the none non-Amish or Mennonite people know is the word shun or the shunning. My, my family was not required by the church to shun me. Now, interestingly, Lee, when I left, I was so afraid that if they knew where I was, they would come see me and they would do everything with their power to tell me I needed to come back. Mm-hmm. And they probably, in my vulnerability, they probably could have convinced me because my heart, for me, the leaving was so intense. If if something had wiped all my family off the face of the earth, I wouldn't have grieved anymore. It was like I grieved the loss, the relationships, the little nieces that were five and six years old that lived next door to my best friend's sister. And they almost literally spent every day of their lives being somewhere near me, if not with me. And we just had a really special bond. And, um, you know, that separation was pretty intense. If they'd have been my girls, I'd have never left them. But 
they were my sister's girls. And I knew that I knew that there was something in me that needed to go. But so I went into hiding. I did. My family didn't know where I was for nine months. And those were some of the most lonely and the most intense days of my life. Um, fighting for my way, you know, still being in that stream, but maybe having crossed through the, the, the most intense current of making that break, but I hadn't reached shore yet. And it was still pretty intense, the battle and the struggle. And so um, I went into hiding. And after nine months, I left, a, um, actually, I left a mailbox where they could contact me through letters but it was a, a post office, so they, they didn't know where my, what my location was. Mm-hmm. And somebody else would read those letters before I got them that came from the family. And if they were full of, you know, anger and hurt, I never got to see them. So there was some friendly letters that came, but many of them never got to me. And so that was my reason for doing It was based out of fear, perhaps, but I also felt like God gave me that wisdom to know that in order to make this break, I'm going to need some space to kind of get my feet on the, on the other side of that river. And, um, so when the moment came where we came back together, I actually broke out in hives that day and the day before, because it was, it was almost as intense for me to be with them again and let them see the new person wearing new clothes and a new haircut and wearing jewelry and wearing makeup and all the things that I knew was going to shock them. You know, it was just, it was very terrifying and shocking for them to see the person that they knew in the old lifestyle now in the new lifestyle, but they did not have to shun me, but some of them chose to. And even though they connected at first, and then when I married, they, they, didn't, they didn't understand how they could be friends to me and my new husband and still keep the family intact mm-hmm. in the old community. So some of them have chosen to somewhat shun me where they, they don't want to include my husband and I in family gatherings, family events, because if they make it welcome for me to come back, then it might look to somebody else like, um, hey, it worked for you to leave and you've got a great life. I'm going to do the same. So I think it all comes down to control where you believe that you're part of this and you have to stay a part of this. And what I can understand, Lee, is, and it's easier for me to forgive them, is to know that they don't see it differently. If I would still see like I did in my old eyes before I had that breakthrough, then I would be doing just what they are to anyone else who left. So it is easier for me to forgive them for the hurts. I mean, believe me, there's been plenty of hurts. And it's been a roller coaster. Sometimes they're more open and then they slam the door shut again. Then it's open and they slam the door shut again. Mm. And I know it's hard for them too. So this process you talked about of of kind of breaking free of nine months of, nine months is interestingly, um, the time it takes to uh, birth a baby. (laughs) It's kind of going through your own process of uh, finding your new life. How did you know? I mean, did you just choose the nine month or was there something that let you know 
internally that you had uh, gotten to the place where it was now more safe to interact? Um, you know, it wasn't the month of May that I left. And I remember it came along about September. I'm like, am I just being stubborn? You know, it's just, is this just my own stubbornness that I kind of know that I know this is not the right time? If I'm just, if I am causing this agony for my family, my mom, especially my mom and those two little nieces were the ones that tugged at my heart the most because my mom really grieved. Um, she really, really grieved that. Um, then I thought, well, then I would change this. You know, I would be willing to make this happen. But when I just really sought and I really became vulnerable to say I am open to doing this, there was a definite knowing on the inside that this is not the right time. Hmm. And it was an event that we met at a, at a nun, um, what is it called? A non-mutual place. It was a third party event that we met at. So it wa I wasn't on their grounds and they weren't on my grounds when that coming back together happened. So that event was kind of what made the date happen. But up to that time, I knew, I just, I just knew that I knew. Hmm. So just to co kind of come, let's circle around to your, what you do helping people. You said everyone feels like they're a prisoner to something. And you were in that process, not literally a prisoner. I mean, they weren't holding you captive. No. The belief process was yes. holding you down and the relationships in many ways were holding you down. Sure. So exactly. How do people move past that? How do they find where they, if, let's say you feel like you're, you don't know why, but somewhere you're feeling held down. How do you find that? And then how do you get through that? Well, Lee, Lee you and I recently met and I, I uh, went to your website and I saw you have a book called The Forgive Process. And I was intrigued by that because I've had to do a lot of practicing to forgive. Plus, I wanted to know a little bit more about who you are. And, and it's a great read. And you have in there the first step of the process of forgiving is to, well, you set it up in a beautiful way that I think a lot of people can um, you know, understand the process. Like you said, it's people do the best they can. And that's how I was able to look at my family and know they're doing the best they can. They do not know how to receive me any better. And if I had been them and one of my other siblings had left, believe me, I would have been in there with a chopping block and, and the ax and I would have been doing my, my own work of trying to make life miserable for them. Um, so your first step of the forgiveness process is to say, I really want this. You know, I want to start this process. And I think that's what you, it takes where people kind of finally found, come to that place where they want to do something different. Hmm. Because it's going, to be, it's going to be hard. Forgiving is hard too. But you're on the healing side of things. And sometimes when you make it, that decision that this part of your life is not working and you're willing to pay the price to get it to where you can flourish and you can thrive. <laughs> I think we're on Thrivology. Um, if you get to the place where you can thrive, you're going to have to take some risks. And those risks can sometimes inflict more pain as you go through the process. And you may have to pay a price 
for something that you would rather not. But And that's what I had to do with my relationships. And you're right, the relationships and the belief patterns the were the two hardest things to break free. Mm-hmm. So I think that happens in all cultures. You know, we can be controlled by our boss because if we don't do what he says, even if it's something that we think is not right or best, then we might lose our job. Or if you're a good employee, the boss may let you do things and you're controlling him or her because, um, they are afraid of you losing you and what that would do for the whole chain of events, whatever that would be. So I think it happens between parents and children or children and parents. Um, you know, children can control their teachers or vice versa. And I, I just think that controlling factor of where we want to inflict our, on the rights of somebody else is a pretty common thing that we have in life. And then because of all the hurts, we no longer know how to bond and connect with people. Because I have been in a crowd of a lot of people and felt very alone. I've gone home and felt very alone. And I think that is all kind of that process of, um, you know, we find ourselves in situations where we're not thriving. And it takes a lot to break free, but it's well worth the price because staying in that place where you're stuck, you're complacent, you're miserable, you're lonesome, uh, you know you could be more in this one place. It, we can't look at the limiting circumstances and what we feel a prisoner to, or we can't look at the limiting relationship. And it's difficult when you're married to that person, Lee. I think that is one of the hardest ones when somebody's married and their children involved, and it's not a good thriving relationship for the children and you or you know whichever way it is a husband wife I think those are the hardest ones to to find what is the right path for you mm-hmm. yeah you t- in some ways you're talking about uh, I, I talk about as paradigms you know you're talking about a worldview out of which you can't see any other worldview you can't see anything sure. else you're you're bound by how you understand things and if you're in yes. a community that's seeing it the same way you're you, you all have a built-in reinforcement system <laughs> that, that yeah. keeps you in that frame. And so the, the inner sense that you have uh, is doing battle with, you know, there's this um, incongruity in your thought process. On the one hand, you feel like you don't quite fit or you don't fit at all. On the other hand, you don't have any other way of seeing it. And so part of that process is to get some clarity about what's got you stuck. Yes. Um, how do you help people do that? Or do you help people when they've already figured out where they're stuck on how to move through that? Well, I think, Lee, I can help people in three levels of that. If they are miserable and they don't know what it is, that, that belief system that you talked about, they don't know what that is that is holding them back. I will help them discover it. And we'll do some un- uncovering because I think in my own life, I discovered that I had covered up my true identity, who I really was meant to be on the inside. And that may still be a discovery. I, I'm sure this is a discovery. We'll always keep learning how we can be more of all the ability and God-given talents and and opportunities that we've been presented. Um, and the second phase that I think I could help people is if they know that what they want, but they don't quite have the courage or the wisdom 
how to make that shift. And then the other one, I think that I would also have so much heart and I wish I would have done better, Lee, is when I got on the other side of that river and I now had some footing in my life, it was easy for those limiting mindsets to continue to allow to let people control me in the new, on the other side of the river. And I would love to work with people if they've taken some big steps and they're on the other side to walk with them for a season um, through coaching so that they can get their feet in the right path and not, you know, there's pitfalls out there that always try to trip us up and help people avoid those as much as possible so they can thrive and bloom and flourish in, in being more. Um, I always think of more because when I was in, in like the bottom of the river and the waters were going around me and I, I was literally felt like I was drowning in this meta, metaphor, metaphor, it was like, God, I have no idea who I would be on the other side of the river because all I know is this identity of being a Mennonite school teacher and a midwife and, you know, farm girl. I don't have any official degrees. I know how to do some things, but I'm not licensing these things because we didn't have need that in my community. I'm like, who would I be? What would I do? And I made a decision that I was going to trust God because I said, God, you know everything and you know who you created me to be. And I'm going to trust you that you're going to make me all you want me to be. And all I need to do is say, yes, yes, God. Hmm. So that has been my continual, if I don't forget, sometimes I get in seasons where I get covered up again and I kind of lose sight a little bit and it takes that refocus to get back on the thriving part because we can get stagnant at any part of the journey. And so I think if I could help people who've made great courageous moves to walk with them to rapidly excel and hopefully avoid some pitfalls. If I were to use your uh, river analogy, uh, you help people who uh, know there's a river. They just don't know what it is and where it is. Um, They've got to find that what that is. The second is they found the river. They still know how to get across it. And then the third group are those who have started crossing the river and can't quite get their feet out of the other side. Yeah. Sometimes that can be it too. Yeah. yeah. So there, and it, there may be a little mud on that bank on the other side. They keep slipping and sliding right back towards yeah. the other side. Yeah. That yeah. is, that is so true. Are there some hints that you have for people to um, find their way through that process to to navigate that river? Are there some processes that you can um, just kind of name and um, help people to to figure out where they're they're already captive? Again, going back to my own personal journey, it was there was this search that started coming up in me. So I think anybody can start searching, no matter where they're at for a little bit of information. When you start understanding your situation better, then you can start moving out of that. I I, I don't know what the magic is, but there's almost like this magic thing, this magic pill that you can take, if there is such a thing as a magic pill. But when information comes in, it starts 
rearranging your thought process and your, it's almost like you throw a stepping stone in front of you and it kind of moves you forward if you take the courage to move on it. And so I would encourage people to say your marriage is struggling or your finances are struggling. Read up on it. Listen to podcasts. Um, listen to Lee on his marriage podcast. You know, listen to people who, who know something that you don't know. If, if you would have all the answers in this, you probably wouldn't be struggling in it. So finding those answers or finding clues within information and then moving on something. I think the other failure we have is we learn something, we say, oh, that's good. But we put the book back on the shelf or throw it in the trash and never do anything with it. We're, we're not getting too far that way. So start digging for what it is that you would like. And sometimes we have to study upon what we have that we don't like to help us disentangle. I think I did both. Some of my limiting things I learned more about. And part of the other thing was to find safe people where you can start sharing something with them. You know, somebody who will uh, give you a hand up. Not everybody gives you a hand up, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so many times we can ask people for help and they actually push us down. Yeah. So, so it, your first part reminds me of how many times in my past and hearing other people's stories, we're starting to ask some questions and look a little closer and suddenly the cracks start showing, you know, that whatever yeah. I thought was the, the right thing. I, I remember years ago, we were looking at a house and it was, looked like a lovely house. And we walked through and I was like, that's really lovely. And then I went, wait, what's that crack in the wall? Right. And, and as soon as I noticed the crack in the wall, I started noticing the stain in the ceiling. And when I noticed the stain in the ceiling, I started noticing all the other issues that had been there all along. I had just overlooked them because it looked like a great place. Um, and more recently, I had someone who was telling me about a company that they thought was a great company, started working with a company and stayed with the belief that it was a great company until the cracks showed, you know, until, it, until they realized that, wait, this isn't all it was cracked up to be. It's not all I thought it was. And then the yeah. other fissures start showing up. And then you start being more open to the other challenges to that. And we all have a paradigm and it's an imperfect paradigm. So you're talking about finding the um, end point of that paradigm, the place where it's not really reflecting all of reality to you and then figuring out what to do, which is your next thing of, then take some action. You know, any, a step in the right direction is often the beginning point. You know, it, it starts with that first step and then yeah. finding safe people. So uh, in terms of safe people, you've been through this process and that's part of what you do with people to be that safe person to guide through. T tell us a little bit more. Um, uh, you've got something to offer people. Tell us about that and what you do. Um, well, Lee, I just felt like, you know, after being 17 years on the other side of the journey and opportunities were given to me to understand how to do this. And again, it took information. And so now what I do is I feel like I reach back my hand or I cross back on that river and I help other people make that journey out of what's not, you know, the place that they want to be relieved from and get out of that lonely place in life and get over on the other side of the river where they can have, um, I don't know, I use the word meaningful relationships a lot because mm -hmm. 
you know, we can have relationships, but they don't mean much to us. It's a little more of an existence. We coexist with people. But when we go home or we can come home with a spouse and be lonesome in the same house, Mm -hmm. you can be lonesome in the bedroom with a spouse next to you. And um, I think um, when we can have meaningful relationships and we know how to connect with people, that that makes a beautiful life, whether you live in a small house or whether you live in a great big house. You know, the, the, I think are material things. And I look back on the culture that I grew up with. It, I still love country. I still love the, the quietness of rural farm life. And I'm very much an advocate towards, um, you know, farmers and rural things, even though I do live in, in, in a metro area now in a subdivision, I miss that part of the, of that life. Mm-hmm. So I have, um, discovered in my own journey, it really doesn't matter where you live. It's, it's the condition of the heart. And if you can get that healthy, you're going to have more money in the bank because you're connecting with people better. Your business will thrive more. You know, your, your marriage will thrive more if you can go through some of those bumpy roads of working things out and, um, you know, hopefully relationships with the children and, and your workplace. So those are the, the places that we look to thrive. And when we can thrive on the inside and find that joy. And for me, ultimately, it is that deep relationship that I have with God because I've not lost that. It's got challenged in my trusting God and in walking with him in a close, close proximity. Like he's not this far away God anymore. He's this God who's come near. And for me personally, that is really a mainstay in my life. So uh, on your website, uh, tell us a, a little bit about what's there. Uh, it's it, There's not much there. There's a little video there that talks about... Um, me speaking to people, but there's a button that says connect with me. If you click on that, it'll open up to a calendar where you can, uh, someone can book like a 30 minute free consultation with me. And we will talk about some of the things that are going on in your life and what you would like to, what they would like to work through and get to the other side of the river and, what that life could look like for them and where they'd like to go. So if if that's you, then you click on that uh, connect with me. And also if you scroll down just a little bit farther, there's another link where you can uh, connect with me through email and you will receive a free chapter of one of the books that I wrote. So that would be another way to get a little closer connected and, and hear about some of the heart and things that, um, you know, happen in my life. And the website is? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> my website is everythingyoutry.com. www.everythingyoutry.com. Or my name works too, com. And the everything you try comes from the idea that sometimes we try to do it all right and we still mess up. So everything we try doesn't always work out but we don't quit. Mm. We, we keep going across that river and we go through every mud that's on the other side and we keep going because there's rewards to keep going. 
So if you've been listening to this and you realize that there's something that you're a prisoner to and there's something that you maybe even know what that is and you uh, either need help figuring it out or need help getting free from that um, and you hear something in that story that makes sense to you, uh, remember Marion's got the offer of uh, a free kind of a uh, consultation to see if if that there's something else that she can help with. Or you can grab her free chapter of her book uh, by going to everythingyoutry.com. Um, and that connection is also, that link is also in the show notes. So, um, Marion, again, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for sharing your story. And uh, hopefully if, when, those, when anyone finds that they are at that place that where they're feeling that um, being a prisoner to something, that they take action to break free just like you did. I would be delighted to visit with them. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thrivology.com or at ThrivologyMagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Thank you.